0: Good morning. Greet you in the lovely name of Jesus this morning. There are times that you get ready to get up in front of either a small crowd or a big crowd, and you you uh, ask yourself, "Why am I a preacher?" I don't feel like a preacher. Maybe I don't even look like a preacher. I don't know. But uh, at the same time, I'm excited to come to you this morning because we have the Word of God. And whenever we get to talk about the Word of God and the uh, the important things of of Jesus Christ, there's something exciting about that. So. Uh, Uh, I would like to you if you would turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter one, and I would like to uh, this this um, sermon sort of came out of a a series that um, I did a while back on the book of Romans. So I'd like to skip through the first chapters really quickly, but I just thought maybe as um, as we page through the scripture and I talk about each chapter for a few seconds um, it may cement a few things in your mind and, and, and help you get a, a perspective a little bit of the first chapters of Romans I would like to talk this morning on uh, the subject the life in the spirit as adopted children of God and I'm not sure um, Always, if whether a title that I decided on many years ago still fits what is here today or not. But uh, you'll have to decide that. And maybe you can help me with a, a new one. There, uh, there is a verse I'd like to, uh, to consider as a theme verse, though. Uh, not actually from the book of Romans. But um, it, Galatians 2 verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Another verse to consider as we ponder this passage is uh, Colossians 2, verse 6. It says, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. And I ask you, how did you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord? How did you do it? You did it by faith, didn't you? And he says, I want you to learn to walk. I want you to walk in Jesus the same way you came to him. I want you to walk in faith. Now, chapters... um, Chapters 1 through 8, I just uh, thought maybe it would be helpful to you if you sort of page through as we go through. Chapter 1, uh, he talks about the evil inclinations and choices of men, of, of man. And um, he concludes that there is none righteous, and that includes you and me. And he introduces the gospel as the solution for man's problem. And he says that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The word gospel, by the way, means good news. It is the power of God, the good news that he has power to bring salvation. Chapter 2 addresses the fallacy of trusting in our lineage to save us. Chapter 3 tells about the impossibility of being justified by keeping the law or any other standard for that matter, no matter how good and righteous that standard is. Chapter 4, he uses Abraham as an example and um, he demonstrates that righteousness can only come through faith. He he declares that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That word accounted is a is a, uh, a, a word that I guess you would use in accounting. It was, uh, it was put on his account as righteousness because he put his faith in, in, uh, in God. His justification and his works, as we see in the book of James, were both by his faith. Chapter five, he explores all the benefits of being justified by faith. He says we have peace with God, verse one. Verse two, we have access to grace. The, uh, the favor that we have with God, the power to succeed in our Christian life. It's the undeserved provision of God, which includes the calling of God, the provision for our salvation, and the power to live successfully in our salvation. He tells us in verse 3 and 4 that even tribulation cannot destroy us. In fact, it leads to character and hope and love. So in verse 5 he says, We have hope both for this life and for the future. Verse six to eight, he tells us that we experience the love of God by Christ having died for us before we were restored, even while we were still sinners. And verse nine, "We will be saved from wrath." and verse 10, that we will be saved by His life, or that we are saved by His life. And because of that, we do, we can, and we do rejoice in God. We begin to understand in that passage that not only are we, um, not only is our slate wiped clean, but He also offers us the means to live in victory. Chapter six, He answers a couple questions that might arise. Uh, number one, since grace multiplies to cover every sin. Shall we keep on sinning so that God's grace can be glorified even more? And number two, since we are no longer under the law, is it okay to live like we please? And if both both, uh, questions are answered with a resounding no, we are not only justified from past sin, we are to live a brand new life because sin brings death and God's gift to us is life. Chapter seven, he shows us how we can be free from the law. The the law um, created for us an impossible relationship. And at um, verse uh, four, I think I'll just uh, read that. It says, Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. And so he uses the uh, example of marriage in, in our relationship to the law and to Christ. And he says we're in a relationship, uh, our relationship to the law ends up bringing, we end up bringing forth children of sin because the law will 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 tell us what is wrong but it, it is it makes it power we are powerless to do something about it and so in a sense the law doesn't create sin but it, it reveals sin but yet in another way he says well, I didn't really know sin before the law the law defines right and wrong but I can't I can't perform what the law tells me that I should do and so he says that the solution to this is that not that we get rid of the law but rather the solution is that I die and in my death the marriage to the law is broken so that then I can be married to Jesus Christ and we can bring forth fruit unto God. Now in relationship to the law, there are three laws mentioned in chapter seven, and I'm not gonna spend the time to go through them too much other than just to mention them, but um, I think I will at least read a couple of verses. There's the law of God um, referred to in uh, verses 14 and 16, um, but it is specifically named in verse 22. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. There is the law of the mind. He talks about the things I would not in verse 16 and verse 23. He says, I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. And there's the law of sin, referred to in verse 17. He calls it sin there, but sin that dwelleth in me. And I believe that's the same thing he's talking about in verse 23, where he um, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. I just found that interesting. There's a lot more to chew on, on that than I have or have time to chew on this morning. But to, uh, to get back to the, uh, the subject here, and uh, I'd like to read verse 18 to 24 of chapter 7. He talks about the frustration that we have when we try to do what is right in our own strength. I've often asked the question: So, is, is Chapter Seven talking about a a, um, a non-Christian? Is it talking about a a Christian who uh, is uh, is just uh, not living victoriously? What what is the uh, who is who is Chapter Seven talking about? Now, finally, come to the conclusion. That chapter 7 is not talking about either a Christian or a non-Christian specifically. He's talking about someone who is trying to to obey God in their own strength. Follow with me in uh, reading chap- uh, chapter 7, verse 18. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I... Would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Can anybody uh, identify with that? I think we can all identify with that. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I find then a law, that is, when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into the captivity of the law of sin, which is in my members. O oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Now, there, there is a, a visual here, I believe he is, he is talking about. Um, it's my understanding that, that there were times that the judgment upon a person And I don't know whether, I can't remember the details anymore whether it was, if if somebody killed somebody or, or exactly what, but, but they would tie a dead body onto this person. This was their, this was their, um, their judgment. So a dead body would be tied upon the person who was, um, to be punished and he had to carry this dead body along with him wherever he went and as this body decomposed can you imagine the the awfulness of carrying a body around until it decomposed and finally infected you until you yourself died what a terrible terrible death and so he asked the question who is going to deliver me from the body of this death and he answers the question in verse 25 he says I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now, there I think he's still. I'm not. I'm not always able to follow everything. He's uh, the 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 logic of the sequence here, but uh, I think perhaps that's referring back to the the concept that I am that there's a part of me that follows God and there's a part of me that, that is following the, or wants to follow the flesh. It's naturally tuned that way. So, so then, chapter 8, I think he comes to the solution that, that he's been talking about. And he explains the life in the spirit and how we are adopted children of God living in the spirit is is his solution to the problem that we identified in chapter seven the the cry that he says oh wretched man that I am so chapter eight and I think we're just going to read um um, we're going to read some verses here I'm not sure how far we're going to go first of all there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit, for the law of the spirit of life. Now here's another law. Do you notice we, we talked about the law of, of God, the law of the mind, the law of sin, and here is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. I think we'll stop there for a moment. There is no condemnation, he says, to those who are in Christ Jesus. Stop there for a moment. Who are in Christ Jesus. Now, I've probably used this example before. I'm going to use it again in case you forgot it. You know, when something is in something, it becomes a part of of that. So, you know, what happens to one happens to the other. So I'm going to take my notes and I'll put them in this songbook. Now, when I put this, this songbook down on the bench, My notes are on the bench correct and when I pick it back up and I put it back here on the podium My notes are on the podium And I think in a sense that's what he's saying about us being in Christ Jesus What happened to Jesus happened to us vicariously. I think that's the right word to use Um, So what happened to him happened to us and so He says, if we are in Christ Jesus, then we are not condemned. Now I believe that Paul is assuming here that being in Christ Jesus results in living in the Spirit, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. And he goes on to tell us that when we live in the Spirit, And we are walking in the spirit that it enables us to obey God in our physical bodies, uh, verses uh, 2 to 4. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. I'd like to read uh, verse 3 in another translation. For what was impossible to the law... Powerless as it was, because it acted through frail humanity, God affected, sending his own son in a body like that of sinful human nature, and as a sacrifice for sin, he pronounced sentence upon sin in human nature. For the law, verse 2, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Through the Holy Spirit, through God's spirit working in our lives, we can be set free from the law that just only tells us what is wrong but gives us no solution. Now, living in the spirit is decided in part, at least in the mind. Let's go on and read verse five. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. That is, they set their mind. They set their mind on things of the flesh. For to be carnally minded, to set your mind um, in a carnal way is death. But to be spiritually minded, is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be, so that they that are in the flesh cannot please God. So here we have a, a carnal mind. It says the carnal mind is enmity against God. That is, our natural inclinations, our natural flesh does not agree with God. It it doesn't want what God wants, it wants what it wants. And, And so he says those that are in the flesh, that are minding the flesh, cannot please God. So part of what he's calling us to is to take sides. And, and sort of that, that's sort of what happens when we, we become born again, isn't it? We take sides. Does that mean that we never fail? No, John, John uh, tells us that uh, these things are right to you so you don't sin. But if you sin, we have an advocate, right? And so, but God wants us to take sides. Take sides against our old nature and take sides to him. But back to uh, verse 5, living in the flesh or in the spirit is decided in the mind. And he tells us that if we pursue the flesh, it leads to death. A fleshly mind is hostile against God. A fleshly mind cannot please God. But pursuit of the spirit leads to life. We can only live in the spirit if we're first born of the spirit. And in verse 5, we're called to set our mind on the spirit. And so, there's a question that we have to ask. Because this is where we find ourselves sometimes. And the question is this. If this is so, why am I defeated in my Christian life? Do you ever find yourself there? Have you ever found yourself there? If this is so... If we can live in the Spirit, and we can obey God, then why do I find myself defeated? I would like to take you back to the theme verse. And again, repeat for you the words of Paul, where he says, I have been crucified with Christ. That is the tense. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer... I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I'd like to share with you five principles of, that I believe need to happen if we are going to live a Christian life in a successful way. Principle number one You can't obey God. You can't obey God. Turn with me to Galatians chapter two. Now I'd like to go and read that passage in context. Galatians 2 verse 20. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come, can't come by the law, Then Christ is died in vain. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you? This only I would learn of you. Received you the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be... Yet in vain. He therefore that ministered to you the spirit and works miracles among you. Does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed, so that they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is every one that continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. That is, he's saying that the law does not operate on the basis of faith. It operates on the basis of performance. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith." And so Christ suffered on the cross being made a curse for us. And I don't know what all that means, but the, the, because he did that in our behalf, we are, are made the righteousness of God in him. And we receive the blessing, it says in verse 14, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And so, what I said earlier, principle number one is we cannot obey God. It is, not in our, it is not in us to do it. We cannot perform. And until we understand that we are unable to perform of our own self and obey God, we will always keep trying. That is why he says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I think he finally came to the conclusion, you know, I can't do it. It is impossible for me to do it. And so I'd like to to ask, do you know why those who have lived in gross sin often have such a powerful testimony? Why? because they have come face to face with their own inability to perform the work of God in their own self. It is impossible. It is time, and we will never, we will never have the power in our life to obey God until we understand that, that simple fact. And we, need to, and, and we stop trying to please God on our own and we give, it, give him everything that we are and have and allow him to do his work through us. Principle number two. If you have been born again, you have already died and you have already been raised with Christ. You have already died you have already been raised with Christ. The um, Galatians two twenty, again, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Back to our passage. Romans eight verse ten. If Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. And I believe that it's saying that, that we have been crucified with Christ. Our, our flesh is, is crucified with him. It is a, it is a, a spiritual reality Now, if you, are, if you are in debt, OK, and you owe, let's just say you owe $100,000 to the bank and, um, or to somebody, and um, it's due tomorrow, you don't have it, you're broke, your rich uncle puts a $1 million in your account, and he, say, he calls your name and he says, by the way, you have a million dollars in your account. And you say, well, I don't know if I got a million dollars in my account or not. I'm scared to write a check out to the bank uh, or to the, the guy I owe money to because I, I don't know if it's in there. Are you gonna pay your bill? Is your bill gonna be paid? Are you gonna live like your bill's paid? No. But when you believe that it's in there and it's in there and you write the check out, is your bill paid? Yes. And and a lot of times I believe that we we fail in our Christian life because we don't believe it's there. And when we understand by faith that it is already accomplished in Christ remember I used the example of being in the book when we are in Christ what happened to Christ happened to us. When we understand that and we operate on that fact then things change in the way we live our lives buried with him in baptism wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God through the faith of the operation of God it's not the faith in your operation as long as you put faith in your operation you will always fail it's when we put faith in the operation of God that we can come to victory and just as we come to Jesus as we came to Jesus for salvation by faith we need to come to him for faith in regarding his resurrection and his resurrection power working in our life You see, we as Mennonites, if I may be so blunt, we believe in salvation by grace through faith, but then we believe that we need to work out our salvation, and we do, but not the way we often think we do. We, We think now it's up to me. Okay, Jesus saved me, I've been born again, now I have to perform and I have to get it right. not so. We need to live in faith the same as we were born again in faith. Remember principle number one, you can't do it. Principle number two, you have already died. You have already been raised as you are in Christ. It is something you need to claim it is something you need to allow him to work in your life. He says that we are to, to resist the devil and submit to God, right? Isn't that what it says? You see, when we submit to God, we allow God's working in our life. We, we come to the cross. We allow, we allow God, we allow the work of Jesus to work itself out in our life. We die to our own self. Don't forget our theme verse, I have been crucified. That is past tense. That is not future tense. And when the spirit is living in us, Though our body is dead, our spirit lives. And in the process, let's go on and read. But you are not in the flesh, verse 9. You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not, have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you... The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead will also quicken or make alive your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. See, there's a secret. God wants to live his life in you. And when the spirit of Christ is living in you, then He not only, you not only are, are alive in Him, in the Spirit, it also brings life, it also trickles down to your body. It also affects the way you live. You see, living right is not something, it's, it's, it's not where it starts, it's, it's the result. Whenever you try to make Christian living the, the, the tractor instead of the wagon, you're gonna fail. It's inevitable. A wagon isn't made to pull the tractor. You gotta pull the tractor, uh, you need to pull a trailer with the wagon, I'm sorry. You gotta pull the wagon with the tractor. You farmers know that. You don't try pulling the tractor with the wagon. But in our Christian life, so often we do. Principle number three. You must take up your cross and follow Jesus. You know, we don't belong to ourselves. Verse 12, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you will die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify, bring to the cross, the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. We'll stop there for a moment. We must take up the cross and follow Jesus. We do not belong to ourselves. We are not our own. We have a choice to make. And choices have consequences. You know, I think we'll come back to this thing of... of, um, of submitting to God resist the devil submit to God we can never pick ourselves up by our bootstraps we can never be good enough don't forget principle number one we can never do it but we can submit to God we can submit to God and when we submit to him then we can allow Him to do it through us. There are choices that we must make. We, we, uh, we, We dare not feed on the garbage of the world and expect God to somehow miraculously work out righteousness in our lives. You can't feed on garbage, you see garbage in, garbage out. The sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. And I ask you, are the things that you're doing in your life led by the Spirit of God? The things that you allow, the things that you feed on, the things that you think about, the things that you read, the things that you listen to, does that feed your spirit or does that feed your flesh? I thought about preaching a sermon this morning on the prevailing word of God, and um, right now would be a good time to do that, at least as far as our subject matter, but not according to the clock or my energy, either one. But if, if we want to have a victorious Christian life, we've got to eat this. This is, this is where it is, brothers and sisters. You've got to eat it. But it has to be more than words. The Holy Spirit needs to communicate his message to you through it. But as you study it, as you as you feed on it, your body, your spirit learns to digest it. Sometimes it takes a lot of hard work. But mostly it, it takes. You need to give the Spirit of God time. You see, the Spirit is a person, and you need to give Him the time to be able to work those things in your life. Principle number four, we are children by birth and adoption. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Verse 15, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That is, God does not want you to live in morbid fear about your relationship with Him. You were not born again so you could be afraid, God, am I going to be able to make it? Um, You know, have I done it good enough? Have I given enough? Have Have I avoided sin enough? Have I do my good, outweigh my bad? That's not how it works. God does not want us to live in fear. We are children. He has adopted us. If you've been born again, you are adopted. You are a child of God. We have the right to call him daddy. The Spirit testifies to us that we are the children of God, verse 16. And we are heirs of everything that belonged to God, verse 17. We dare not forget that. But so often in our Christian life, we, we operate as paupers. Now Paul did say he was a slave but he was a slave by choice, but he was a son by birth. Principle number five, the Holy Spirit is a person to have a relationship with. John chapter 14, Verse 26 says, But the Counselor of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your re- remembrance what I have said to you. First Thessalonians 4, 9, But concerning love of the brethren, you have no need that anyone write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. And he does that through his Holy Spirit. Jesus said of, of the Holy Spirit, he says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. I would like to remind you that the Holy Spirit is our teacher. He is our counselor. He is our guide. If we are to live in the Spirit, we need to trust him as in, in being those things in our life. Perhaps some of you are wondering, well, how do I hear the voice of the Spirit of God? Does God ever speak to you out loud? Perhaps sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. Does he ever speak to you through the word of God? I found that probably more times than I've heard the voice of God in my life, it has been through the reading of the word of God. I don't think it's necessarily the same for everybody. God doesn't always speak to everybody the same way. But, um, you know, the Holy Spirit is a person. And when when you have a relationship with someone, then there needs to be communication both ways. And the Holy Spirit will speak the words of God to you through the Word of God. Sometimes he will speak to you in other ways. I remember a, um, a day that I went to pass out um, Bible school invitations at Mount Hermon in, in the hollow. And um, as I came down the mountain, um, I sense God saying, Stop at Sherman's. Well, you know, you don't always know whether what you're hearing is the Holy Spirit talking to you or not. You ever feel, you ever find that way? If something comes to your mind, you wonder, Is God telling me something? Or is this just my crazy imagination going wild? Some of us have a lot of that, okay? So you, you don't always know. And, and so, and I say, Well, Lord, I. I'm going over here to pass out Bible school invitations. Am I supposed to stop at Sherman's instead? And um, the thought came to my mind, well, if Sherman's on the front porch, then stop in. And um, so I accepted that as, as, as a choice. I like, all right, God, if, that's, if he's on the front porch, I'll stop, he's never on the front porch, okay? He, Sherman didn't stay on, the, he, that's not where he was normally. I drove by, and sure enough, he was—he was there, along with um, a couple of other people, sitting on the front porch. And so I pulled in, stopped, and um, and um, I sat there and talked, had a nice little chat, and all of a sudden, sheriff pulls up. Now he had been—he uh, had been called for drunk driving and stuff, and and uh, so I think the sheriff must have just pulled in, checked on him once. Well, yeah, there's a number of things that went on in the holler sometimes. So, um, but. Uh, Sheriff comes in and uh all parks out by the road and uh he g- Sherman goes into the trailer, comes out with a pistol, walks out there, had a little sort of behind sort of, you know, going out to see the sheriff. And uh I'm like, this ain't good. And uh as he walked past, I I was sitting there, I just reached out slipped it out of his hand and laid it down on the, on the deck <clears throat> he walks on out and sees the sheriff and uh, uh, he chat a little bit and sheriff goes back to his car and Sherman goes back in the trailer boy he was angry oh trailer just shot, he was beating on the wall he was just as mad as he could be and um, saying some things that Aren't fit to repeat. And um, I better make a long story short. But anyway, let's just say it this way. I knew at the end of the day that God had spoken to me. And and God not only enabled me to do what I did there, He enabled me to go back. I went to I went To say I was frightened is probably sort of an understatement. Okay, Um, I didn't know when he was going to come back out with one of his 47 uh, guns that were in the back room, and you know, and unload on me. How how did I know? I didn't know. But as I went back to, I went to the church, and um, I, I spent time with the Lord there, and the Lord gave me some very gave me the confidence that I was to go back, and He would be with me. And, and I, I spoke to Sherman in a way that I never speak to people. And he took it. He was, a very, he was very subdued when I got back. I think the Spirit of God subdued him. And we were very good friends from there on. How do we know when the Spirit of God speaks to us? How do you know you guys? How do you know what your wife thinks? Ladies, how do you know what your husband thinks? How do you you know what your good friends think? It's because you communicate, right? And do women always tell you exactly what they think? Why are you laughing? How did you figure it out? It's not always easy, is it? You have to read between the lines. You, you do talk. You communicate with, with words. You also communicate in other ways. The Holy Spirit does not always communicate with words either. He, God wants you to learn what he thinks and how he feels. And you do that through by listening, by paying attention, by responding to the things that you think he's telling you. And then you see what happens. Sometimes you find out you were wrong. It wasn't him, it was this mind of yours playing games with you. Sometimes you find out you were right. That's how you learn. God's okay with you learning. It's it's about a relationship. I'd like to remind you that you can't do it on your own. You'll never, you'll never Be successful in your Christian life on your own. You need to let him do it through you. You have been crucified with Christ. It is not you who live. It's Christ that lives in you. So that the life that you now live in your body. You will live through faith. Not through performance. Through faith in the son of God. Who loved you. Who gave himself for you. Who died for you so that you can enter into his death, who raised for you so that you can enter into his life. And when that happens in your life, you will find that that he can live his life out in you. And your life doesn't have to be a disaster, It it can be a life of fruitfulness and of joy and of peace and the and the life that you wanted to live you can now live because he does it in you let's have a song